I think one of the reasons that the NCAA basketball tournament known as March Madness that Kyle and Brianna were talking about this morning is so popular is that it's full of drama. You have 68 teams and they're playing in this basketball tournament and it's a one-game elimination. And so you can lose or win at any time, which is different than like the professional league where it's the best of seven games. And so uh, the, the best team's going to win those four out of seven games every time. But in the college game, anything can happen. Uh, an underdog could beat a giant or a giant could beat an underdog. And so we watch because there's lots of drama. And we see like a, kind of a roller coaster. A team could barely have a, a rough game, kind of get by just by a few points and kind of skirt by. And then the next couple of games, they win big. Or a team could be winning two or three games in a row thinking that they're going to go to the championship only to lose their next game. And so high drama where anyone can win, and so we're all dialed into that. And if you play the game where you try to pick the bracket and pick the winners and you're doing that with some friends or colleagues at work, it, it adds to the drama. Because one minute you might be way behind and the next day your team wins and you're in front or one weekend you could be at the top, and then the next weekend you're at the bottom because your teams are gone. So lots of drama, and I think that's why we tune in. Because I think in our own lives, we have drama, and we feel like we're on a roller coaster in life. Sometimes it feels like we're at the very bottom of life, and things are not going well at all, when all of a sudden something surprising or good happens into our life. A, a new relationship begins, a new opportunity comes our way, and and all of a sudden, we were just feeling so down and gloomy, and, and the next thing, we're on top of the world, and everything's great. But it's also true that sometimes we're on top, and things are going well, and our relationships are at home, or with our jobs, or at school, and, and then all of a sudden, we're blindsided, and we feel like we've dropped down that big ramp at the roller coaster when something goes wrong, or right, we get sick, or someone that we care about gets sick, or we lose our job, or we have a cut into our income, we're bullied at school, or... Or maybe there's even a death in our, in our family or among our friends. And so we know what it's like to be on the roller coaster of life. We love it when we're up, but when we're down, not so much. And so maybe that's why we tap into the drama of sports. One thing that I also think about is uh, I think we can connect with Jesus because of, of what I'm talking about. Jesus, of course, is God, came to the earth and became a human being while remaining God and and when Jesus was on the earth and when he was in the human form while still being God, he went through the roller coaster of life. And I think that we can identify with the God of the universe because Jesus understands what it's like to live on this earth, that we have those low moments that are suddenly eclipsed by the high moments. And, and sometimes we're on top of the world and then, you know, we're on the bottom. That even happened to Jesus, happened to God, happened to the Son of God himself, Jesus you know, sometimes it looked like he was down and out and his enemies had, were trying to trick or trap him and, and he walks away on top. And then sometimes when Jesus was on top uh, and everything's going great, that all of a sudden the bottom drops out and Jesus finds himself betrayed and abandoned and hurt. And, and, and all of that drama we remember this week, this week that we call Holy Week. This is the, the last week that Jesus was on the earth as a human being that, that we remember and celebrate this week. And, and from the course of today, which is Palm Sunday, through next Sunday, which is Easter, we're going to have these huge high points and on the mountaintop experiences. And, and, and between these two Sundays, we're going to see Jesus go down into the valley. 
go down into the darkest part of his existence and, and his life on the earth as those closest to him betray him and walk away. Those who are his enemies and are after him seemingly you know, get the upper hand and, and, and have Jesus executed on a cross. And so this is the week that we remember that our Lord and Savior, God, the Son of God himself, understands what it's like to be in our shoes, to be human, and, and to have great things happen and to have terrible things happen. And so today we enter into the drama that is Jesus' reality in his life. And because of this, we come out on the other end at the top of the roller coaster. And so thanks for being here today and joining with me as we begin this Holy Week journey together. And it starts today on Palm Sunday. And what's happening is that Jesus and his disciples are coming into Jerusalem in the first century. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel, and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem knowing that he's going to die. And so he and his disciples come at a very interesting time in, in the life of the people of Israel. It's what's known as the Passover festival, and we're going to talk uh, a lot about that this Thursday at our Monday Thursday service. I hope you'll come back at 7 o'clock, same way that you're tuning in now, as Brianna said. And, and we're, we're going to talk about what Monday Thursday is, Holy Thursday, and Jesus' Last Supper. But this is Sunday. And so Jesus is coming into the city of uh, Jerusalem. It's the capital city. And, and we have to understand that the people of Israel didn't rule themselves. The Romans ruled them. The Romans ruled all of the pretty much known world at the time. And so they were ruled by a foreign nation. And people didn't like that. And they wanted to, to govern themselves. And, and you can't blame them for that. And so they, they look back to when David was king of Israel. And when they had the greatest political and military uh, nation that they had. And, and they're hoping that one day someone will rise up like King David and defeat the Romans and send them home and Israel can self-govern. And, and so on the Passover, they are celebrating uh, a memory of when they were also in trouble uh, a couple thousand years ahead of this. And so they were, well, about a thousand years, well, a couple thousand years. I'm, don't get confused on the dates. But anyway, they were slaves in Egypt. And they had been there for over 400 years and they wanted nothing more than to, to be liberated. And so God liberated them. And it's in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And, and so every year since that time, the people of Israel have a festival to celebrate their being delivered from slavery uh, in Egypt. And so they observe the Passover. You know, a great way of thinking about it, for those of us who live in America, it's kind of like the 4th of July when we became our own independent nation. And so... As Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem, the Roman rulers are nervous because you know this is the July 4th kind of celebration. If, if there's ever going to be a revolt, it would be right now during this season of Passover. And there's a lot of buzz going around about Jesus being the, the new king of Israel and that he might cause political problems. And then the, the Jewish religious leaders don't like Jesus. They think he is a blasphemer. There's no way he can be the son of God. And so they have it out to get Jesus. And so he's coming into this, this kind of politically and religiously charged time of the year. And the common people are looking to Jesus as this, this, this descendant of David, and they think he's going to be their new ruler. He's going to be their new king. At least they, the rumors say that, and they have the hope, and they've heard about the healings and the miracles, and, and they think this is the time for Jesus to take the throne. And, and so when Jesus comes in, he comes into a hero's welcome. And that's where we pick up the story today. Uh, in, in the book of 
Mark in the New Testament. Mark is a gospel. Uh, we've been reading that this week in our Lenten readings. And so if you've been reading that, this might sound familiar. If you haven't, that's okay. We're going to read this together. But we're going to see how Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say that the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. So they went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. But when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which means Lord save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Again, they're hoping he is going to be the new ruler like King David was. Hosanna, Lord save us. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem with a hero's welcome. They're so excited. This could be the new king. This could be the new version of David to come in and rule us and to, and to help us get rid of the Romans, to push them out of our nation. right? Hosanna, Lord, save us. Right? And, and people saw Jesus coming, and so they took off their cloaks that they wore, and they, they put it on the, on the dusty ground so that Jesus and the colt could ride over that. They cut down the branches that were around, likely palm branches, uh, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet again for the, the, the colt, the little horse to ride over. Right? They probably waved the palms around kind of like a, a pep rally, like, a, like cheerleaders. And so it's kind of like a ticker tape parade. It's like Jesus has won the NCAA tournament or Jesus has won the Super Bowl. It's a, it's a huge political rally. People are excited for who this Jesus is. And it's a, it's a high point for Jesus. And he comes in as this hero. But the people maybe should have paid attention to what Jesus was riding on, right? This, this, this small colt, right? Normally, a political leader probably would have come in with a, a bunch of horses and chariots and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus has this meek and mild kind of entrance. That's, that's why Mark spends so much time talking about how Jesus is going to ride in. And so uh, if people were, were careful, they might realize, hmm, something's going on with the, the way that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, but the people are excited, and, and Jesus is uh, welcome as a hero, as the champion, as, as the new political and religious leader. And, and people are, are fired up, and so it's Palm Sunday, and they're waving around all the palms. Now we fast forward through the week, and Jesus goes into the, the Jewish temple, which is kind of like a national cathedral, and he, and he teaches some, some tough lessons that the religious leaders don't like him teaching. And so finally they've, they've had enough, and and they're able to get to one of Jesus' disciples, to one of the 12 disciples, Judas, who for 30 pieces of silver betrays Jesus. And, and they, they come and they arrest Jesus and they falsely accuse him of, of doing things. And uh, the religious leaders think he's a blasphemer and they're trying to get the Romans to think that he's trying to overthrow their government. And so Jesus finds himself on trial in front of the Roman governor Pilate. 
uh, and he finds himself pretty much convicted. And, and yet Pilate doesn't really have anything against Jesus. I don't think he thinks he's a real political threat. The religious leaders are kind of stirring the crowds up. Uh, and so Pilate's kind of put in a tough position. And, and his wife has this dream that, that he should have nothing to do with Jesus. So there's, there's this tradition every year at Passover that uh, the Roman leader releases one of the Jewish prisoners or political prisoners. And so Pilate is hoping that if he brings Jesus out, the people will say, hey, we choose him to be the one that you let go. Because, you know, this is, this is now Friday, and five days earlier, the same crowd likely were the ones who were at Palm Sunday saying, hey, Jesus is here, we're excited. So Pilate's trying to, you know, wash his hands of this whole situation. Uh, so let's see what happens when Pilate gives the people, gives the crowd an opportunity for Jesus to be freed. We continue in Mark's gospel. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. So Barabbas and some others uh, were trying to violently overthrow the Roman government. And so they, they took up arms and they got caught. They killed some people and now they're in prison. So the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, meaning Jesus, asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests, the religious leaders, had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Crucify him! Waiting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged, which means beaten to within an inch of his life, tortured, and handed him over to be crucified. So here the crowd is whipped up into a frenzy. I'm sure the religious leaders are out among the crowd trying to get the mob mentality to go against Jesus and to have Barabbas freed. But it's just unsettling, right? In the course of a week, less than a week, a lot of people who were probably in the Palm Sunday crowd are now in the Good Friday crowd, and they've shifted from saying, Welcome, Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Hosanna in the highest, to now saying, Crucify him. Kill him. Right? In other Gospels in the New Testament, it even says that the, that the crowd was saying, May his blood be on us and on our children. Right? You talk about a fickle crowd, right? this is much worse than a, a, a fair-weather basketball fan. Right? This is a crowd that's, that's praising Jesus one moment, and the next moment they're calling for him to be tortured and executed by being killed on a cross. How do they get from Palm Sunday to the Good Friday crowd? Right? That, that is a challenging question for us. It's a challenging, you talk about drama, you talk about the roller coaster, Jesus was on the top of that hill and then whoosh, now he's on the bottom, right? It happens just instantaneously. How could people go from cheering and worshiping Jesus to now calling for his, his blood to be upon them and upon their children? And it's not just the, the everyday crowd, the people who didn't really know Jesus, it's also his inner circle. Remember Judas, one of the twelve, was the one who sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. 
And then when they came to arrest Jesus, the, the rest of the 12, they ran and hid for their lives. And even Peter, right, the, the main chief disciple, who had just, like, right before this happened, said to Jesus, if they come for you, they got to get through me. I will die with you, Jesus. I'm not going anywhere. And of course, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter ran away. And, and he denied Jesus three times, which Jesus had predicted would happen. Peter said, it's never going to happen. But it happened. All right, so it's not just the, the general crowd who's going along with the mob mentality. It's also those who are closest to Jesus. How can we go from being on the top of the roller coaster to the bottom? How can we sell Jesus out? How does this happen to, to these crowds? Well, I think if we're honest, if I'm honest with myself, if you're honest with yourself, we know how this can happen. It's human nature. It's what we do. Right? Sometimes we get it right, and we love God, and, and we praise God, and we do awesome things like we're doing today. We, we have prayed to God. We, we have sung praises to God. We, we, we come, and we're glad to be worshiping God together, and it's a beautiful thing. We're going we're gonna to go serve people in the world this week. We, we, this past week, we've done good things with our hands and with our words at work and at school and in our homes and in our neighborhoods to, to help people for Jesus. We've, we've done great things for Jesus this past week, all of us. And at the very same time, we know that either maybe today or maybe tomorrow or sometime this week, the very same mouse that praised Jesus, or we're going we're gonna to cuss at somebody or we're going to talk badly about someone behind their back, gossiping about them or we're going to be passive-aggressive at work, and we're going to end up trying to sabotage somebody that we don't like. We, we might bully someone at school this week. We, we might see someone who is in a need, whether that's an emotional need or, or, they're, or they're hungry. Right? We're going to see things that are, that, that are needs in our lives, and we're just going to pretend like we didn't see those. Right? And so in the course of a day, in the course of a few days, in the course of a week, on the one hand, we're praising God, we're worshiping God, we, we're serving God, things are going great, and in the course of that same day, in the same week, we're going to be going against God and betraying God with our words and with our actions or with our inaction. And so if we're honest about it, we understand that sometimes we're in the Palm Sunday crowd and we're blessing Jesus, praising Jesus, and sometimes we're in the Good Friday crowd and we are betraying Jesus. And we're disappointing Jesus with our words and with our actions. And we're just as guilty as the people in the first century. That Jesus died just not because the people in the first century were sinners and did wrong things. But we are also sinners and Jesus died because of us. Because of our sin, our wrongdoing, because of our guilt, because of our shame. And so today we remember as we begin this holy week that sometimes we're with Jesus and sometimes we're against Jesus and so we're part of that Palm Sunday crowd but we're also part of that Good Friday crowd and that's challenging and that's a tough place to be now the good news is that Jesus loves us anyway that he came to this earth exactly because of what I'm talking about because he knows that we're not perfect and he knows that sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong and we bring in guilt and shame into the world and one day we're going to die because of this and we experience what the Bible calls as hell and that's broken relationships broken relationships with God broken relationships with each other we're, we're separated from God we're separated from each other but that's not what Jesus wants and that's why he came into the world 
And that's why he took upon himself when he died on the cross, like our wrongdoing, our sin, our guilt that comes from that, the, the shame that comes from that, the consequences of death and the consequences of hell, and he defeated that. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection where, where Jesus comes back to life and Instead of guilt and shame, he gives us joy and peace. Instead of death and hell, he gives us life to the full now and life forever in the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's the Easter message. But now, this week in Holy Week, it's, it's a time for us to do some soul searching and to look in the mirror and to see how we get it wrong sometimes. To, 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 to figure out you know, why it is that we're convicted of the wrong things that we do. I want to jump ahead in the New Testament to a writing that the Apostle Paul wrote. Paul was a first century pastor and he started a lot of churches in the Mediterranean area. And when he was away from his churches, he would write letters to them to encourage them and to, and to be a cheerleader to them, but also to challenge them when they weren't doing the right things. And, and, and his message was to, to help them understand where they'd gone wrong and how they could turn around, right? Turn it around. How can we turn this around with the power of God? And so today, we're going to read one of his letters, part of one of his letters that he wrote to a church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And he had written to them some good things they were doing, but also some things that, that they shouldn't have been doing. And he wanted them to feel sorry and so that they would turn around and get their act together and let Jesus right, do his thing. And so let's read this passage from Paul and, and see how it might speak to us when we let Jesus down in our own lives knowing that there's hope still yet. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. Repentance means to turn around. Right? This is my life without God. I want to turn around. I want to leave that life behind. I, I, I want God to be in my life. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, right? Forgiveness, being made right with God, and leaves us no regret. Godly sorrow is good. It brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So Paul's saying it's good for us to be aware of the wrong things that we do. And we, we should feel sorry about that. We should feel sorrow for that. But we don't want to get stuck on that. Right? We, don't, we don't want to stay in the dumps because there's good news. right? Jesus knows that we can't do it on our own. That's why he came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he came back to life. Right? We can't save ourselves. But we're not stuck in the sorrow because God picks us up out of that. Right? And so in this process... There's something that happens that, that's called conviction, right? And, and conviction is a loaded word, so I want to help us walk through that. There's a few different ways that we can translate the word conviction. Conviction is the act or process of finding a person guilty of a crime, especially in a court of law, right? The Holy Spirit convicts us. Like right? When we do something wrong, we feel guilty about that. We feel ashamed, right? It's good for us to know that we've done something wrong, right? And so we're convicted by that, right? The act of convincing a person of error or compelling the admission of truth, right? So we face the truth. Hey, you know what? Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. I need to be honest about the things that I get wrong. I need to confess that to God. Hey, God, this is where I blew it, right? I, I am guilty, Lord. And then the last definition of conviction, a strong persuasion or belief, right? The state of being convinced. 
And this is where I think the good news is, that, that even though I'm guilty and you're guilty and, and the truth is, is known, right, we can be convinced that Jesus loves us anyway, right, that Jesus died on the cross for us, that Jesus came back to life so that we can be forgiven, so that our guilt and shame can be replaced with joy and peace, so that we can live life forever with God and we can have life to the full now. And so it, what it means is, right, because of the cross, we are convicted, not condemned, Right? We're convicted. Yes, I did wrong. Yes, I need to be sorry. Yes, I need to confess this. Right? We're convicted, not condemned. Right? I, I'm facing death. I'm facing hell. But you know what? Because of the cross, right, Jesus rescues me from that. Jesus rescues me from death. And Jesus rescues me from hell. And Jesus instead gives me a life that is full now as long as I live on this earth. And he gives me life forever in the glorious kingdom of heaven. Right? Because of the cross, we are convicted, not condemned. Right, so what does that mean for us in our everyday life? I think, it, I think it's this awesome, it's clear, and it's simple, but it's powerful. Because of the cross, I am forgiven. Right? Because of the cross, I am forgiven. Will you say that with me? Because of the cross, I am forgiven. Right? And that means whatever you've done. Right? No matter what you've done, no matter how bad a person you think you are, no matter how terrible it is that something that you've done, because of the cross, you can be forgiven. Because of the cross... I am forgiven. Because of the cross, you are forgiven. Because of the cross, we are forgiven. That's the good news. That's why Jesus came. Right? Jesus came to forgive us. We can't do it on our own. We don't earn our way to forgiveness. We don't earn our way to life to the full. We don't earn our way into heaven. It's God's gift to us from Jesus, and that's what we recognize this week. That's what we're going to celebrate next week. This week, we've got to get honest. This week, we need to be convicted. We need to realize where it is that we fail God and confess that to Jesus and ask for that forgiveness and receive that great gift that Jesus makes possible. All right, so how do we apply this in our lives? There's, there's three steps that we can take. Believe, confess, and repent. If we're looking to be forgiven, if we're looking to be convicted but not condemned, believe, confess, and repent. It starts with believing in Jesus. Believing that, that Jesus created us and that he loves us. We're created in his image that he came to the earth to become a, a human being, to die on the cross and to come back to life so that we can be forgiven. Right? We need to believe that. And for some of us, we do believe that. For some of us, we want to believe that. And for some of us, today might be the day that we take the step across the line, that we're willing to take the risk to say, Jesus, I believe, I want to believe. Show me that you're real. Come into my life, right? We believe in what Jesus has done for us, who Jesus is, and he does what he says he will do, that he came to save us from sin, death, and hell, to save us for life to the full and life everlasting. We believe. And then we confess. Say, Jesus, I don't want to face this. I don't want to face these things, but you, you know everything anyway. And there's something good about me facing it myself and confessing to you the wrong things that I've done. So, Jesus, here it is. This is what I've done, right? And as part of that confession, it, we repent, right? Which is what I said earlier, right? It, it means to turn around or to turn away from, right? It's like to do a 180, right? This is where I was without Jesus. This is where I am with Jesus. So Jesus, I want to live the lifestyle without you behind me. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I, I need to be forgiven, but right, I want to have power over sin. I want to be able to make the right choices. I, I want to have joy in my life. I want to have peace in my life, God. I, I want to live a life with you as the main thing in my life, right? And so I want to repent of my lifestyle 
And for those of us who follow Jesus, maybe we just need to repent of the specific sins in our lives that still hold us up and trip us up. Right? Each of us has our own demons that we're battling. You know, one or two things that we just can't seem to shake that we say, Jesus, I'm sick of that. And I want to leave this specific sin behind me. So whether it's a specific sin that you're battling or it's a lifestyle that you're battling, right? Jesus is ready. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus came back to life so that you can be forgiven, so that you can have life to the full, so that you can live forever in the kingdom of heaven. Because of the cross, right, we are convicted, not condemned. Because of the cross, we are forgiven. So how about it, brothers and sisters? Where are you in your relationship with God? I think there's no better time than the present for us to go to Christ, to believe, confess, and repent than right now. So I invite you to join me right now in a time of prayer as we go before God asking forgiveness together. Let's pray together. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you for what you have done for us through the cross. And God, today we would ask, Lord, that that we would have faith in you, God. We want to believe in you. And some of us, we do believe in you, God, and we thank you for that faith. And some of us, God, have fallen away. And so today, God, we ask that you, you would send your spirit to give us new faith, God, to renew that faith in our lives, that we could, we could trust you again, God. And some of us, we don't yet know you, God, and, and we're, we're, we're trying to figure it out. That's why we're watching a worship service. That's why we're worshiping today, God. We, we want to believe in you. And so, God... Maybe today's the day that we, we take a step across the, the barrier of, of belief, Lord. And God, show us that you're real. Help our unbelief, Lord. Help us to truly believe in you and what you have done on the cross. And God, today also we thank you that we can feel convicted. That we're not perfect and you understand that and that you love us anyway, God. And no matter what we've done, no matter how horrible it is that you love us and you stand ready to forgive us, God, that's so liberating and and so hopeful and refreshing. And so, God, now we just, we want to come to you in silence and offer up our confessions before you. God, these are the ways that we hurt you. These are the ways that we hurt others in our lives. These are the ways that we hurt ourselves. God, hear now our silent confessions before you. God, we thank you. And Lord, now we also, we, we want to repent. If, if we've been living a life without you in the center, we want to turn from that, God, and we want to turn to you, and we ask that you would be the center of our lives. Come and, and live in us and, and fill us, Lord. Give us a purpose. Give us meaning. Help us feel and encounter you in our lives. Help us to, to put you first, Lord. And for those of us who follow you, God, and you are our Lord and Savior, Maybe today what we need to repent of, God, are specific sins that just seem to cling to us. And it's hard to shake them, God, even though you give us power over sin, God. And so we're at whatever it is that we're specifically struggling against, God. We want to we turn from that. We want to leave that behind. We want you to come in, Lord, and, and forgive us and, and give us the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to truly turn away from that and to turn to you. We thank you, God, that Holy Week is here. We thank you that uh, we see the, the high point of Palm Sunday and we see the Easter Sunday celebration coming. And give us the courage 
and the fortitude, Lord, and the grace to go through this week, Lord, down in the valley, struggling with who we are as human beings, but to know, God, that no matter what we've done, we can never be separated from your love and that you are willing to forgive us for whatever it is, God, and give us a new start and a fresh start and give us life to the full. Thank you, God, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Because of the cross, we are convicted, not condemned. Because of the cross, you are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.